Uh, I'm really glad to have uh, everyone here today. We're taking the next step in our, our journey that we started a new series last week called The Elephant in the Family Room. And we began that by really exploring family and that as we look to the very beginning of the scriptures in Genesis, that family was not some kind of side adjacent part of God's purpose, but it was at the very core of God's plan. Adam was not to be focused on his career, and he wasn't perfect the way he was, but he, he, so God created Eve, and then furthermore, they found out they could have babies, and there was such a thing, and so uh, they, the family was um, established, and so, but the truth of the matter is that there's a real attack on the family on all fronts, political, uh, media, in business realm, and even in our schools today. And so um, with that kind of in mind, I wanted to unpack some things that I really believe are some elephants in the room that we really need to address, we really need to talk about. Last week we talked about anger, and sometimes anger we think of like, oh, it's big and kind of in our face, but most of the time the anger that we're most dealing with is unresolved anger that's really deep in our heart. And if we look to the scriptures, that anger actually leads us to sin. And if we don't deal with it, the ramifications that are far greater. And I think most of the things we're going to deal with over the coming weeks are not, you don't see this big elephant, but it's things we don't talk about, we don't deal with enough, and that, but they have far uh, reaching ramifications. And so I want to take that a step further today and talk about comparison, which sounds weird. I'll unpack, uh, unpack it and talk about that a little bit more. Uh, here in, in a few minutes, but for most of you that know me, I'm a big sports fan. I listen to a lot of sports radio. I listen to, I watch a lot of sports TV. Um, and one of the things that drives me nuts about all these like shows and radio shows and everything is that they're always comparing people. Like right now, Steph Curry is on like a, a rampage, and the Warriors and the NBA are like about to set this like most wins in a season record. So of course they're comparing them to the 96 Bulls, like Michael Jordan's Bulls, or like Peyton Manning just retired and, and they'll like compare his career to Tom Brady or this pitcher to that pitcher. And you know, I, that stuff drives me nuts. And there's a reason that they always do it and they're always making lists and always comparing people is because we eat it up. Like, we love to do this. We love to hear this stuff. And it's not just kind of in public figures. We, we do it uh, ourselves in our own lives. I mean, we compare all kinds of people. Like, we compare, you know, President Obama to the devil. We compare, you know, Donald Trump to a baby hedgehog. Like, we, we, can, we, we compare so many things in our life. We compare, you know, our yard to our neighbor's yard. We compare, uh, you know, ladies or mothers in the room, you compare your stroller with somebody else's stroller, right? You, guys, you're comparing your hairline to somebody else's hairline. You're, you're comparing what you make versus what somebody else's make. We're constantly comparing. What we don't realize is that while we're eating all this comparison up and living in this constant comparison is that it's eating us up. It's eating us up. And the scriptures actually kind of point this out and highlight how anti-gospel this is. And so I, I want to begin to look at that a little bit this morning. I want to go to Matthew chapter 20. We'll get to this here in, in just a moment. Matthew chapter 20. I don't know about for you. When I was in fifth grade, I think is when I learned about context clues. Do you guys remember learning about context clues? I think they're probably teaching that in kindergarten now, but I learned about it when I was in like fifth grade. And so before we jump into Matthew chapter 20, I, I want to kind of just kind of um, paraphrase what happens in Matthew chapter 19 at the very end, because there's this rich young ruler 
that comes to Jesus, and he's like, hey, Jesus, I've been keeping all the rules. I've been doing really good. I haven't cheated on my wife in some time, and I haven't, uh, I, I haven't stolen anything since I was six. Like, he, he's really proud of himself keeping the rules, and he's like, what else do I got to do to, you know, inherit eternal life? And, and Jesus kind of sees his kind of pride and kind of arrogance in this, and he's like, go sell everything you have. And, and many times we think of this just as a direct encounter, Jesus with this rich young ruler, but really the disciples are kind of watching this, and Peter kind of pipes in, and he's like, man, I've given up everything, and here he's telling this guy to sell everything. And, and Peter just has one of those moments where he, he's just like, Jesus, we've been like hustling, we've given up everything for you, what's in this for me? You ever think about that? Sometimes when we're just kind of laboring in the gospel, we're kind of going through our lives, we think, what's in it for me? And we just kind of have that selfishness. And so we ask him, ask him this question, and Jesus is going to go on and do a lot of teaching here about rewards and stuff. But he answers him. He says, there's a hundredfold return for you plus eternal life. Like, that's pretty good benefits. Pretty good benefits of the kingdom, right? You can't find a hundredfold return on any investment right now, whether you're in the stock market or Ally Bank, you're getting 1% or something. You know, so he says this incredible investment, and now is that a dollar thing? No, it, it, it's saying he actually goes on further. He's like, but at the bottom, bottom line of this is like, I don't compare and I don't reward the way that you do. And that leads right into chapter 20, where he gives us one of his 46 parables. Uh, and we know this about the landowner and the vineyard worker. And so we'll read this and begin to talk about comparison in our life and how it's, while we're eating this up and while we're comparing ourselves to maybe somebody else's journey, or we're comparing ourselves to, to kind of any inappropriate comparisons, we're missing out and we're missing the gospel. We're missing the gospel for us. And so let's begin chapter 20, verse 1. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agree, agreed to pay them a denarius, which is like a day's labor for the day, and sent them into his vineyard. So just imagine whatever you get paid in a day, imagine that's how much he would agree to pay you. Uh, the kingdom of heaven is you. Matthew uses that throughout his gospel. He uses it 32 times. And many times we see the kingdom of God throughout the New Testament. Matthew is really the only one that uses the kingdom of heaven. There's a whole conversation outside of our conversation today about why kingdom of heaven, kingdom of God, is there a difference? But I don't want us to get too focused on that. But Jesus is constantly using parables where he is the employer and we are the laborers. He's constantly using that because it's so tangible for us to think about this relationship you have with your boss. And it's so easy for him to be able to teach grace and teach the gospel by this example because it, it doesn't work the way we think it does, where it's an easy exchange of, I worked hard today and now I get what I deserve. I, I earned it, right? Because in the gospel, we can't earn it. It's freely given. So he agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them into his vineyards. So about nine in the morning, he went out um, and, and saw others standing. So he comes at six, he comes at nine in the morning, and they're not doing anything. They're standing around. He told them, you also go and work in my vineyard, and I'll pay you whatever is right. Uh, kind of the, the root of this kind of term here is, you know, like truth. Like, I, basically, if he's the truth, then he has the right to pay us what he wants to. And so in, in, in when we begin to compare, this will kind of make a, um, become a little more clear as we go on. 
So they went. Uh, he went out again about noon and three in the afternoon. And he did the same thing. So how many times has he gone out here? Not six, nine, twelve, three, and then he'll come again at about five o'clock. Let's move on to the next verse. About five in the afternoon, he went out and found still others standing around. He asked them, why have you been standing here all day long doing nothing? Because no one's hired us, they answered. He said to them, you also go and work in my vineyard. I want you to remember that this is a parable, and he's saying the kingdom of heaven is like. So in response to Peter's question about reward and what he deserves, he teaches this parable. And he, it's about the kingdom. And the first thing that I, I believe that, that we've got to understand in regards to this, and I want to begin to talk about comparison through this, is that you're called into his kingdom. You're called into his kingdom. And, and, and if one of the things I think in, in our world that we're so used to, when you go look for a job, someone for most of us, no one comes looking for you. Like there are headhunters and they come finding you, something like that, through monster.com or LinkedIn or whatever. But most of the time, for most of us out there hustling to find a job, you're calling, you're sending like a thousand emails a week. Anybody know what I'm talking about? You're looking for a job, you're trying to find, you're constantly reaching out. And here, the landowner, God himself, is coming to you. Um, many times, even when we talk about coming to the Lord, I think even that language is so, so dangerous because we can take it on like we've made this great revelation, which some of it, we, it does have to be revealed to us, but he's the one that comes into the marketplace where we're doing nothing, where we have no purpose, where we're broke. He comes to us and he finds us. And so maybe some of us in the house are even today and we're, we're, we're kind of broke financially, or maybe we're kind of broke of our energy and we're zapped of purpose and like not having purpose in life. And the landowner, God, in this parable is coming to the marketplace and he's finding you. And before, I don't want this to be taken out of context because coming into the kingdom is not all about labor. The reason he calls you first is because he loves you, because he loves you and he, he, he wants a relationship with, with you desperately. That's why he comes into the marketplace, why he meets you in this room, why he meets you in your bedroom, while you're sending emails about a new job. That's why he meets you, that's why he comes and he finds you. But he calls you also because he has kingdom work for you. I, I, I think if we're kind of looking at the kingdom of heaven. Shouldn't the church look the most like the kingdom of heaven on the earth? But here, he's sending them out to work, and so many times we're kind of standing around. I just wonder if like, we just took this as the marketplace or anywhere in our lives, and, and Jesus came into that place, and he found us. Would he find us standing around still after he called us into the field. And many times our church in America has become a very much a spectator sport. And what I'm so thankful for is that, that the, the DNA of our body is not spectatorship because that's not what the church is, but it's engagement, it's community, and it's, and it's being involvement that our hands would be busy about God's business in the laborers. And so also he calls us because there is an eternal reward for us. Um, and so that's uh, an amazing thing too. But, but the heart of it is of why he comes is because he, he, uh, he loves us. He, he loved us so much that he gave his son for us. Uh, and he has work for us to do. The harvest is plenty, but the laborers are few. Uh, he has eternal reward for us, that he goes away to prepare a place for us. Just quoting scriptures here that pour in uh, to this. 
So we're called to labor in his kingdom, but what comparison will do is comparison uh, will begin to undermine. It will begin to undermine our, um, our stability and our confidence in God, and it will feed into the insecurity until we quit. Right? You think about it uh, as far as your yard to your next, next door neighbor's yard. You can't afford to have the yard they have. My yard is weeds. Lots of different shades of weeds that we cut very nicely. I can't afford to have the yard my neighbors have across the street. Um, and if I, if I allow the enemy to, if I allow that elephant to continue to grow, it'll constantly, it'll just feed that insecurity until it grows and it grows and it grows until I'm done. Until I'm like, I'm moving. I just kind of give up on everything. I'm like, I'm moving because I can't look at that anymore. But we're, we're called as individuals to, to labor in his kingdom. And so we can't give in to uh, the comparison that is constantly made. And so we'll continue reading here. Comparison will undermine our confidence in God's call uh, on our lives. We'll continue reading in the comparison stuff really comes to Um, in in the text here. Let's go back up to verse 8 and read through verse 12. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going on to the first ones. I want you to notice that order. Begin with the last ones hired and going on to the first. The workers who were hired about five in the afternoon came and each received a denarius. So when those uh, came who were hired first, they expected to receive more. I mean, think about this in kind of real practical terms of what would happen in your life and what you would be feeling if this took place, right? You get hired at six or at nine in the morning in the marketplace. Obviously, the landowner's coming out because there's a lot of work. He keeps coming back and he needs more laborers for the vineyard because there's a lot of work to do. And this is just a side note, but some of us get caught at like deer in headlights, because there's so much work to do and we don't know what to do. And I, like, we just got to get out of the deer in the headlights mode and just engage and do something. Do something for the kingdom. Labor in the kingdom. Do something and get out of the deer in the headlights. Um, but think about ourselves in this kind of practical scenario of our own lives. If we saw someone and it came and he, he reads it backwards because he's wanting to poke at something deep within their heart. And it, it, if you'll kind of open yourself up to it, I believe that God wants to poke at something in your heart too. He prunes the one he loves. Sometimes when we feel a snip and there's something like scissors are getting close to us and something sharp's happening in our heart, you ever feel that? I feel like I feel that all the time. God's constantly pruning, but you know what? He prunes the one he loves. Read John 15. So don't ever run from that feeling like, oh, and don't ever let the enemy turn that into condemnation because Romans 8 says there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. He's not condemning you and he's not condoning it. He's pruning you. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ, so don't let the enemy turn that into something else. But we get ourselves in this scenario, and we can imagine how mad we'd be. We're thinking, man, I've been here all day. If this guy's getting paid a day's wage, I should be getting paid five days, a whole week's wage, right? So he's setting them up to kind of poke at this and teach them something really deep about the kingdom of heaven and how we as the church should be living here on this earth. So when those who came were hired first, they expected to receive more, but each one of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. These who were hired last worked only one hour, they said, and you've made them equal to us who've borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. They're ticked. 
Come on, you know you would be too. Like you would have that expectation of what you deserve based on your work. You see how he's poking at their understanding of the kingdom of heaven and the gospel? So many times we feel like we deserve this. We deserve something. And the truth of the matter is that we don't. We don't deserve anything. It's because of grace that we've uh, been given. The truth of the matter is that I think even between one another, one of the, uh, another thing that um, we have to be focused on is our own personal faithfulness. Right? We constantly are looking over at what everybody else is doing. We're more concerned with their unfaithfulness than we are our own personal faithfulness. But we'll constantly be looking at everybody else instead of really focusing on who God's called us to be. And the enemy will use this when we're just called to be faithful. Like we're, we're called to labor and work for his kingdom. We're also called to just be faithful in the kingdom. Not be worried about what everybody else is doing. Now, hey, is there a role for accountability and speaking the truth into one another's life and encouragement? Yeah, obviously. But that doesn't kind of mean on a daily basis. We just need to be focused on our own journey and our own faithfulness. Because the enemy will actually use this in our homes and in our relationships, this comparison stuff. Because he's comparing who's worked harder, who's done this, who deserves this, who doesn't deserve this. The enemy will use this to rob us of joy and also undermine our relationships. This happens in marriages all the time. Happens in marriages all the time. You're comparing you know, your housework to their housework, and you're keeping score. And I tell it in marital counseling and pre-marriage counseling all the time, you have to destroy the scoreboard before it destroys you. It'll destroy your marriage. Keeping score of who's making what and who's putting what in the joint checking account and, and who's doing what laundry and who's doing what chores. It will undermine your relationship. It'll do it in a marriage, and it'll do it in the church, and it'll do it in business. And the enemy would just love to get wedges in there of people that would encourage you and breathe life into you. But that comparison is just constantly eating it up. It'll also rob us of joy. They're grumbling. Man, when they can just be excited that they've been without work and they, were, they could still be sitting in the marketplace if it were, you know, really. But the landowner came out and found them. And so they think they deserve this and they start to grumble. I need you to just kind of go back in your mind, and who have you been grumbling against? And sometimes, maybe it's just to the Lord, and we're just grumbling, hey, God, I, I wish I was in this place. Why not me, God? How come I can't have that? I've been doing this, I did this, I did this. And we don't realize that we've all of a sudden... First of all, am I having resentment towards sometimes my own spouse or my coworkers or the guys I play in band with or whatever? It's, it's undermining our relationships. I think at the end of the day, we just have to ask ourselves, are we more focused on our faithfulness or on someone else's unfaithfulness? And we just plug away and just be who God's called us to be. Say, hey, man, how do I get past that? How do I, how do I get through some of this? Because I know it's killing my relationships. I'd say two things. One is just celebrate with people. Celebrate with people way more. Like, just be excited for people. Quit, like, keeping score and, and feel like every time something goes good in somebody else's life, it's like God saying, I hate you. Like, 
That's not how it works. Like, just celebrate with your friends. Celebrate with your family. Celebrate with your coworkers when things are going well. That's awesome, man. I'm glad you only had to work an hour. You know, we could say that super sarcastically. I'm glad you only had to work an hour. I've been working all day, right? <laughs> we could, I'm so glad about that. Or we can genuinely and know that kind of that tension we feel there, God can do something really deep in our hearts that is kingdom-minded and about the grace that he's teaching in this parable. And what he's coming back to Peter and what he's unpacking to the disciples is that I don't, I don't reward the way you reward. My kingdom doesn't look like how you think and judge in this earth. It's different. Things are different. But I'm the true judge. I'm the true rewarder. So you don't have to think that you're in charge of, of this thing. So we celebrate their uh, achievements and their rewards and, and pray for them. Uh, there's been times in my life where I found myself very much on the grumbling side. And I don't think this is something to be solved. I don't think this is a problem that you're going to solve this week. So if you think you're about to solve this today, you're not going to. But I think this is a tension that we're going to have to manage. And every single time we know that, allow God to do something deeper on the inside. He, he's wanting to, to teach us more about the gospel. He's wanting to teach us more about what it means to walk with him and love the people around us. Which if we go back to the Deuteronomy 6, that's what, love the Lord your God with all your mind, heart, soul, and strength. So pray for people. It's really hard to be grumbling against people that you're praying for. It's really hard to just constantly have, um, allow the enemy to undermine those relationships if I'm honestly always just like praying for them. And just like really meaning it, not in like the sarcastic kind of way. God, just bless them. Just keep blessing them. And they're just angry about it. <laughs> but like really genuinely praying for people that maybe the enemy's trying to um, allow to kind of undermine those relationships. Or maybe even people that are unfaithful. Like instead of being so focused on that, we just focus on, on our faithfulness and being faithful in prayer for those people. I had a, a church planner friend. Yeah. I think some of the most competitive people, um, many times uh, Christian people, are pastors. Um, they're extremely competitive. That's why there's this, whole, there's this whole mindset many times where churches are so competitive. You know what I'm talking about? It's probably because a lot of the pastors are running down the churches across the street. Like, it's probably because some of that's going on, and so I'm not talking to an audience of pastors, but that I should deliver that in a conference somewhere to them, because that's what's happening. It's what's happening all the time. That's why our churches look so competitive about that when we're all in this, supposed to be in this thing together. We're constantly grumbling about what they're doing or grumbling about something else. But pastors are so competitive. I had one uh, church planner friend of mine, he said, I had to unfriend a bunch of like, good pastoral like friends of mine who are doing great things in the kingdom because I couldn't stop myself from being jealous of them and being super competitive about what God was doing in their church. He said, I just had to unfriend them. I had to stop following them. And I don't know, maybe you need to do the same thing. Some people that, that you just can't get a, a grip on that comparison, that, that it's constantly in your face, that, man, they've, um, they've, they've got this going on. They're doing so well in their career, you know, or, or they're doing so well in their family or whatever, and everything looks good, right, on the outside. But most of the time, we don't know what's going on, on the inside. So, you may just need to unfollow some people and tell them your pastor told you to. So um, <laughs> let's, uh, let's finish out the, the text here. But he answered one of them, I'm not being unfair to you, friend. Like they're mad and, and the landowner is like, I'm not unfair to you. 
Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. Shut your mouth and go home. He's like, I don't want to hear it. I, I want to give the one who is hired last the same as I gave you. Remember what I said at the very beginning that he calls you because he loves you, right? I want to. He's like, I want to give the one who is hired last. This has nothing to do with you. Basically what he's saying. The joy that they're experiencing, the rewards they're experiencing has so little to do with you. And you're making it all about you. Right? Isn't this so anti a kingdom mindset where we're so focused? I mean, there's a tension here of like being focused on ourselves and our own faithfulness. And then being so focused on ourselves that we're so worried about what other people are saying. That could be really confusing. But if you'll break that down, I think it does make sense. (laughs) Sorry. But there's a tension there of being focused on our own faithfulness and being focused in a selfish manner, if that makes sense, about what we can only get out of it. But it's out of the Father's desire to bless and to give is why he comes in to the marketplace at 5 p.m. and why he sends him back out because there's work to, to be done. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I'm generous? So the last will be first, and the first will be last. David Gizek had this uh, quote. I think that I have a couple of quotes that were really uh, well put regarding grace, because this whole thing is about how the kingdom is built and, and how, um, get what Jesus is trying to teach the disciples about the gospel. <clears throat> that the system of law is easy to figure out. You get what you deserve. The system of grace is so foreign to us, though. God deals with us according to who he is, not according to who we are. He's generous. He's generous. It's about who he is. Go to the next one. Living under grace is a sort of a two-edged sword. This is a great quote. Under grace, we can't come to God complaining, don't I deserve better than this? Because God will reply, does this mean that you really want me to give you what you deserve? That one kind of says it all. Living under grace is a sort of a two-edged sword. Under grace, we can't come to God complaining, don't I deserve better than this? Because God will reply, does this mean that you really want me to give you what you deserve? I think that says it very well of the heart of this text and that we deserve hell. Like, if, if we are really honest with ourselves, like, on our best day, the prophet said, it's like filthy rags. It's like dirty feminine products. On our very best day. What do, what do we actually deserve? It's out of his character that he loves and he chooses to bless. And so this comparison is constantly undermining. Comparison will distort the truth of the gospel. And that's really what this is about. The more and the more we get the gospel and how God loves us and wants a relationship with us. And out of that, we just look at the harvest and we don't stand like deer in the headlights. But we engage in living out the kingdom of heaven on earth as it is in heaven. Matthew, I think, uses this whole kingdom of heaven thing because um, he, he records Jesus and the Lord's prayer of on earth as it is in heaven, and multiple times he just incorporates this in other places as well. And he's, there's this idea that, that the kingdom is coming of Jesus, but it's also here. It's also here, and, and we as the body of Christ are to be establishing that. 
There should be no more graceful place than in the body of Christ. There should, be, uh, there should be none of the grumbling within the body of Christ. There should be none of this comparison within us. And while we're eating it up, it's eating us up. <clears throat> I love what Jesus said, uh, and I'll end with this, to his disciples very early on in Matthew chapter 10. I think it's the very last thing I have on there. Freely you have received, freely give. He's sending them out into the city and telling him to establish the kingdom. Go heal the sick. Go hug the lepers. He's saying, freely you've been given, or freely you have received, freely give. It doesn't cost us anything, but we're so much in a mode of comparing ourselves to other people and what's going on in their life, and we haven't truly received this, this, the depth of his grace. I feel like every year, every season, God is just wanting to go deeper and deeper with our identity rooted in him. So sometimes if we feel that being ripped up or pruned, he's just, he's just going deeper and deeper of an understanding of what this gospel is all about and that he will reward as he sees fit and that we don't have to allow the enemy to come in and undermine our marriage and undermine our relationships with our neighbors or with our people we sit on the road with in church. We don't compare ourselves in that way. But it's all about grace and what he's doing in our lives through that. And so we can't allow the enemy to, to work in any of those things. We've received it freely, and so it should be so much easier uh, to give. To give to the person, to celebrate with them, to pray for them. And so I think across this room, we're all in such different places, and I, I love the scriptures because <clears throat> that Jesus would even bring this up. And while it's not all about comparison, it's about the gospel. It's about the gospel and what he's trying to <clears throat> get into our hearts. And if I can just tell you that I can talk very candidly f about my own experience in this. I can look across the street or look across the neighborhood or look on social media and look at a pastor who, um, you know, just had this, just kind of walked to a field and preached to a thousand people, and a thousand people came to know Jesus, right? I can look to those things and, and, and just say, oh, why not me? Or I can celebrate with that. And it truly, it challenges me. It challenges me on a daily basis. And I think the same goes to our individual lives. I can look to my neighbor. I can look to my coworkers. I can look to my spouse. And I can be like, oh, why not me? Or I can celebrate. And what Jesus is saying is that the kingdom doesn't look like what it looks like for man. And that he rewards differently. And so I think he's calling us to a place of truly living in who he's called us to be. This isn't about you lining up to anyone else. It's about his character and who he is and what he's doing in your life, in our life. So I want you to stand with me today and we're going to pray. Taryn's going to come and invite you to the table here in just a few moments. But I know that God's dealing with our hearts and this has been eating some of us up. Maybe you don't have a major problem with comparison, but I imagine at some point something's going to happen. You're going to find yourself looking at, at your neighbor Find yourself in comparison to someone else. And I hope the Lord just brings that back to your, to your memory.
that he's trying to teach him more about grace and about his character. So let's pray. God, thank you for this moment. Thank you for your scriptures, God, that lead us to truth and to life. And God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would pull back the veil that's on our eyes many times and would soften the hardness that our heart is often. God, and I pray that just as your spirit works in our hearts, God, you would just, you'd help us to set free this elephant in some of our rooms, in some of our hearts, in some of our minds, God. This elephant of comparison, of constantly feeling like we're not living up to or not getting what we deserve, but God, help us to understand the gospel and what the kingdom is about. And God, this world will know you by our love for one another. And I just pray that we would live that out. We would live gracefully in this city, God, that we would be a reflection of your kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. That's our prayer, God. Help us and set us free from this daily struggle of comparison. In Christ's name, amen.